Heavenly Father, we've sung some wonderful songs this morning containing great truths and uh, we thank you for them. We thank you that um, when temptation works within us, we can look up and see the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the difference that makes to our lives. And this morning as we spend some time thinking on these words of David, words which uh, may echo with us at different stages in our lives, where they're so full of despair and concern and worry, I pray that you would encourage each of us this morning by your spirit that we would see we're not alone when we go through these times uh, because others have suffered in in similar ways, but we will also see we're not alone in these times because you are with us. I pray that you'd encourage each one of us today and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are uh, with us for the first time or or you haven't been here regularly over these uh, summer months, you won't know that we've been doing a summer psalm series, looking at different psalms, and uh, this morning is the last one of the psalms that we're looking at. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 100, and Psalm 100 is full of joy. It was about shouting to the Lord, praising his name, coming into his courts with thanksgiving and praise, worshipping him. And we were encouraged about how we do that, and do we do that with conviction and with a genuine heart. But I was very keen alongside Psalm 100 to have a psalm that recognises we don't always feel like that. Sometimes, I don't know whether you've ever experienced this, but you may come to church and there's songs of praise that we're to sing and you don't feel like praising because life is so difficult and tough uh, and hard at the moment. I had an excellent conversation with um, Rosemary White after the service about some of these things. And so I very much wanted to look at Psalm 13 alongside and after Psalm 100. We actually looked as a church at Psalm 13 about four years ago, but it, it works really well and it's one of those psalms, and there are a number of these, it's worth looking at again and again in the Christian walk because they speak so powerfully into our lives. When you read through the scriptures, you find people that know what it is to have a tough life, whether it's Jonah or Job in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, whether it's Paul or Jesus himself, you see people through the scriptures going through tough times. And it's not just people in the scriptures. I'm talking about particularly the people of God going through tough times. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist minister in England in the 19th century. He's well known amongst Christians even today. The Baptists rightly rejoice in him because he was known as the Prince of Preachers. It's estimated that he preached to over 10 million people in his life. Isn't that incredible? But what's often not known about Charles Spurgeon, because everyone knows he was a great preacher, is that from the age of 24 he suffered from a debilitating depression. He describes it himself in these words. My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child and yet I knew not what I wept for. It was Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers. He spoke of what he called the causeless depression that he had. The reality of sorrow and sadness and brokenness and despair is a common one Uh, in the lives of people in this world. And it's no respecter of age, it's no respecter of gender, it's no respecter of race, and it comes to Christians as well. Each of the people that I just named before from the scriptures and outside are people you'd perhaps expect not to suffer in this way because they knew the Lord and they were following the, the Lord and the Lord revealed himself to them in different ways. Each of them were strong, respected Christians, if I can use that of Job and uh, Jonah from the Old Testament. But they did suffer. They did struggle from being down. They did wrestle with despair. And today we're looking at Psalm 13. And even before we get into verse 1, we see another surprise because it's the author of this psalm. 
Have a look at the opening line that Karen read before verse 1 and we see that this is a psalm of David and that's very significant because David in the scriptures is repeatedly described as having a heart fully devoted to God. He was God's choice for the king of his people. He was the forerunner to the Christ. Jesus will come later on and he will be the Christ but David was the forerunner to that. That means he's God's special, unique king. God made David incredible promises and blessed him amazingly and yet this special man of God struggles. Look at what he writes in the psalm. Look at the first couple of verses. Four one-syllable words which say so much and it's repeated four times in the first two verses. Once as a whole, then three abridged. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long, O Lord? Can you see what he's wrestling with? Can you echo that sentiment? Can you relate to it? Have you asked yourself that at particular times in your life? How long, O Lord? Now the psalm doesn't give us any or many clues uh, as to what David specifically was going through when he wrote these words but verse 2 and I think verse 4 seem to hint that it included the actions of enemies and we know from um, other parts of the Bible that David's life he did encounter a number of physical enemies, other armies and, and, and such like but we don't have much more. He just seems to be going through a really difficult time. But from the outside you'd say well how can that be? This guy was a king. He had subjects and servants and wealth and power, poor fella. But most of us realise, don't we, that what the world sees from the outside is often not what's going on inside. That what we know is within is sometimes very different from what people perceive from the outside. David was wrestling, no matter how he looked like from the outside. Now the verses split up very neatly into three sections. We've got six verses, three sections. Verses 1 to 2, you've got the pain of David described. He talks about his pain. Then in verses 3 to 4, you've got the prayer of David as he pleads with God. And then in verses 5 to 6, we see the praise of God. So three Ps, are the pain, the prayer and the praise. And we'll look at it in those three sections. So verses 1 to 2, here's the pain. And I've headed this section, we encounter despair. We encounter despair. Have a look at the verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, only two verses there where David's admitting his pain, but he admits to three different areas of despair. Did you pick that up? Three different areas where he is full of despair. And the first is in relation to God. It's his relationship with the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Think about that. Do you see what he's saying there? David despairs because he feels that God is absent from him or at a great distance. Now, you'd never have thought that of David that God's appointed king would feel as though God had turned his back or was a long way away from him. But David felt like that. 
We can think that, well, that only happens to us. We're the only one who feels that God is distant or disinterested or even absent. Isn't it only us that feels that way? And then we feel worse because we think, well, it's only us. Every other Christian always feels like, like God's with them, always feels full of joy, and, and we feel even more guilty. And, and then we think, well, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with me. I'm unchristian. Or, or David felt like that. David, God's king, felt like that. Will you forget me forever? He felt forgotten by the Lord. How long will you hide your face from me? He felt that there was a huge distance. Very powerful here. Very true to life. And I'm sure that most of us in this room have felt that at some stage. But as well as feeling full of despair spiritually in his relationship with God, he feels full of despair personally in himself. Verse 2, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Here he's describing personal turmoil, personal problems. And again, I think the language here is so potent and relatable. This is why the word of God is so powerful, because we can understand it. It speaks to our experiences and hearts and minds. When he says he wrestles with his thoughts, have you ever done that? Oh, you can't break free from wrestling with your thoughts sometimes. When you replay things over and over again, or you look in your mind about what will happen. You, you plan out scenarios or conversations or you, and you're going through it and you, or you battle with inappropriate thinking. You're finding your thoughts go off in crazy ways. Escaping your mind can be so hard. David says here he wrestles with it. But it's not just the thoughts in his mind. He, said, he says it's the sorrow in his heart that he wants to be, get rid of. And those two things often go together. What we wrestle with in our thoughts causes us such sorrow in our hearts. The pain and hurt and despair of our hearts can be a, a complete and total domination of us at times. And so David, do you see, is suffering despair in the area of God. Where are you? Why are you so far away? But also in himself. I'm wrestling with my thoughts and sorrow in my heart. So he's in despair personally as well. Thirdly, he despairs in relation to his enemies. End of verse 2. How long will my enemies triumph over me? Now, as I said before, David had literal enemies opposing armies at times out to kill him. Most of you and I don't. So it's possible to hear these words and go, well, these ones are the ones I don't really relate to, David. I haven't really had that. But it doesn't take too much time before you see, if you step back and think about the principle, this is absolutely true to life. We may not have literal armies trying to kill us, but how often does the feelings when others succeed where we've failed or others are triumphing uh, who aren't following the Lord when we're trying to follow the Lord and everything's going wrong or those who treat us badly winning, injustice going on, those who live without care or caution thriving while we're striving to follow the Lord closely and, and struggling. It's so unfair. Have you ever wrestled with something like that? And it can appear as if this suffering is less important than the first two, despair with God and despair with ourselves, but it, it leads to those two. When you struggle with your enemies, struggle with how you view other people and what's going on around you, it leaves a double blow because, firstly, it leaves you wondering where God is and why he's allowing this to happen, which leads to despair with God. And then, secondly, it leads to internal problems and you're in the personal turmoil that David's in. So can you feel David's despair here? Have you gone through it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How long, O oh Lord, I feel like you've left me. How long, O oh Lord, I'm in such pain. How long, O oh Lord, because everyone else seems to be succeeding and I'm not. How long? The whole breadth of David's life is here. His relationship with the Lord, his relationship with himself, his relationship with other people. And it's all causing him despair. What well, does that ring any bells? 
Some of you here this morning will know exactly what this is about because you've gone through periods of time like this. Some of you haven't yet, you will remember Psalm 13 and come back to it. But some of you may be right in the middle of the thralls of this kind of feeling right now. Fear and anxiety might be what you, what's causing the despair or sickness or physical pain or disability or the, the, the total kind of um, darkness of depression which is so destructive and nothing seems to help. Sometimes it can be loss or bereavement or loneliness or separation or rejection. Sometimes it's loss or uncertainty or being wronged uh, or losing everything. There are so many factors but they lead to the same conclusion. How long, O oh Lord? And just before I leave that first point on despair, encountering despair, can I just offer you a word of practical advice when you're in the middle of despair? And there may be some people here this morning, as I said, who are. I think there are certain things that you should avoid when you're so low, so caught up in one situation and so full of despair. Try not to make big decisions when that happens. Uh, Leaving jobs or breaking relationships. Try not to write letters when you're in this, or texts or emails that you may regret later on. Uh, Try not to be lazy because sometimes when you're in the midst of despair and then you're lazy, it spirals, you feel guilty about that and it spirals worse and worse and worse. Try not to judge others. You'll be at your least gracious and kind. Uh, Try and keep away from it. Despair clouds so many things, but we all face it. David did, you and I do and will. So firstly, we encounter despair. Secondly, cry out honestly to God. Cry out honestly to God. This is the prayer, the second P. That's what David does here. He cries out to God. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. See, it's almost a demand, isn't it, from David? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David cries out to God and he almost demands an answer. And the alternative in David's mind is death, victory for his enemies. Now, again, the words are poetic because this is a song and it's referring to David's specific situation, but do you see the principle, the sentiment, remains the same for you and I? Have you ever asked yourself, God, you need to act now or the end is near? I'm at the end of my tether, Heavenly Father. I need you to do something. Please show me the way or give me the grace or strengthen me. I feel close to the edge. God, please do something. And I want to encourage you, if you've ever wrestled with that kind of, I want to encourage you, it's good to cry out to the Lord like this. I know sometimes people can worry that it it might be inappropriate or untrusting to cry out in despair and plead to God with help for an answer. David does it here in this psalm and it's seen as a positive thing. And this psalm gives us permission for this. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that we can't sometimes cross over into inappropriate anger or fear when we speak to the Lord. But David pleads here and he pleads strongly. And and I think there's something healing and right just in the process of crying out to the Lord. I love, I I quote this psalm a lot, but it's because it means a lot to me. In Psalm 32, David, it's another psalm of David, David writes, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Such an important principle there. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. It's healthy to cry out to the Lord when we're in despair. Now, I'm not saying you should always express everything. 
sometimes there's a good suppression. There's a, a good need to suppress certain things. We live in a world at the moment which is saying always let everything out and express everything. No, sometimes suppress. When you get frustrated with someone who's got 30 items and they're in the express lane at a supermarket and you want to wallop them, suppress that. You should suppress that. Uh, more seriously, if we want to engage in a, another relationship with someone who's not our husband and wife, suppress those feelings. But there is also a right expression, the need to release and cry out. But the good thing is we're not just releasing and crying out. Uh, a few years ago there was a, um, uh, a theory, if you, if you heard of this, called primal scream theory, which went on about shouting. The theory was, in part, that you screamed out things that were causing you pain or worry and you screamed them out to express it rather than suppress it. In fact, last week, if you were here, we, we spoke about that 80s classic by Tears for Fears, Shout. People remember that? We looked at Shout. That's what It was primal scream theory that um, uh, brought about Shout, the song. Shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without. It was primal scream theory that was behind it. Don't think about that too much. It'll ruin a classic, but it was behind it. But the problem, of course, with primal scream theory is what? Nothing changes. You may get a bit hoarser. You may feel slightly better because you've shouted something at the top of your voice. But if your boss at work is the thing causing you all the pain and and tension and you scream out the name of your boss at the top of your voice 15 times into the air, you still go to work the next day and your boss is still there and nothing's changed. But friends, we don't do primal screaming, we cry out to the Lord. We don't scream into the air, we cry out to the one who created this world, loves this world, loves you and I and can do something about it. We cry out to the one who's in charge and who loves us. Now, His ways are not our ways. We will not always understand what he's doing and why he allows sometimes what he does, what he will bring from certain situations, but we're crying out to the Lord and that makes all the difference in the world. And do recognise that is so much better than the hopelessness you're left with in this world if you don't believe in God. Without the Lord, what do you do? You've got no one to cry out to. Crying out is just primal scream, empty words. Pleading for justice could just be an empty exercise. There's no guarantee for anything, not for you and I. We cry out to the Lord. So firstly in the psalm we encounter despair. Secondly, we cry out honestly uh, to the Lord. Finally and very quickly, we trust joyfully. We trust joyfully. Look at the last two verses. Verse 5, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Uh, Do you notice there's three couplets in that verse? What I mean by that is David says he'll do three things. He will trust, his heart will rejoice, he will sing to the Lord. And those three things happen because of three things about God. God's unfailing love, the Lord's salvation, and because God has been good to him. Now what strikes you as odd about those two verses? What strikes you as odd about those two verses in the context of the whole psalm? Well, they don't really make sense. There's no reason for the positive ending of verse 5 and 6. Nothing in verse 1 to 4 would make you think that this psalm is going to go happily ever after. David starts off by saying, How long, O Lord? This is awful. I feel distant from you. I'm struggling inside. I look at my enemies. I'm all over the place. And he pleads to God, Please do something. But no answer comes. But then by verse 5 and 6, he's trusting, rejoicing and singing. Now that would make sense if there was a verse 4 and a half. And if in verse 4 and a half, 
the psalm said, and God answered me and said, not for too much longer, Dave. If you just wait a little bit longer, I'll be with you and you'll feel better and your enemies will be defeated. But there isn't a verse four and a half. There's no answer provided. There's no time frame given. And that is what makes the words of verse five and six all the more incredible. Because in the midst of the despair and the crying out, David trusts in God's saving goodness. Without explanation, without answer, without time frame, he can respond this way. And his response is, he trusts God. He trusts God. That's what it boils down to in the end. He makes a choice to trust God based on his unfailing love, based on his salvation, based on David's own prior experience with the Lord. In the same way that you and I can choose to be angry or to sulk or to complain or to mope, we can choose to trust. We can choose to trust. And friends, the good news is that you and I have got far more reason to trust in the unfailing love and the salvation of the Lord than even, and what God's done for us personally, than even David did, because we can look back to see Jesus and his life and on the cross. And in Jesus, you see the love of God more powerfully than anywhere else. Because in Jesus, we see that God himself despaired so that one day our despair will come to an end. Can you see that Jesus actually experienced this psalm himself? He encountered despair and he cried out to the Lord. Do you remember his words as he hung on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew despair. He knew what it was to struggle spiritually. He knew what it was to have personal turmoil. He knew what it was to feel like his enemies had triumphed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus knew what it was like to cry out to the Lord honestly. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he cried out at the precise moment. He was ensuring that our despair would one day be no more. He was crying out at the very moment that he was making sure that despair would one day end for all his people. He went through this for the exact reason to guarantee our struggles will one day be eternally gone and removed. See, you and I can see even better than David when he wrote the psalm, the unfailing love of verse 5, the salvation of verse 5, the good that the Lord has done in us and for us of verse 6. And that's why we, along with David, can choose to trust Our hearts can choose to rejoice and we can choose to sing to the Lord even in a world and at times when despair is beating us down. See, David's not some kind of manic, bipolar person who's not in his right mind, who begins with the lowest of lows and finishes on the highest of highs for no real reason. He's a real man like you and I who struggled with the despair of his life but he clung to the God he knew was trustworthy. He clung to the God he knew was trustworthy. Despair and the need to cry out to the Lord honestly will continue in this fallen world to affect you and I at different stages of our life. And Christians don't escape it, even as David, God's chosen king, didn't escape it. In the middle of despair, what David did was he cried out to the Lord and then he clung to him, knowing him to be trustworthy. The answer to his repeated question in the first two verses, how long, O Lord, is... Not for always. Not for always. I pray that you and I will choose to trust him too, choose to cling to the God who will not let us go. Let me pray.
Father, we do thank you for the chance to look at this uh, incredible psalm of David, the chance to be encouraged by knowing we're not the only ones who struggle with some of these feelings and difficulties, Uh, the chance to be encouraged and inspired by David's response, admitting his despair, crying out to you, but then choosing to trust you. Father, more than any of that, we thank you for the one uh, who was David's descendant, who also suffered and cried out to you and did that so that one day the despair that we go through in this world will not be the case, that we'll have a permanent end to it and we will have a life enjoying you forever. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning I pray particularly for any that are are really going through difficult times at the moment. I pray that this psalm may be a wonderful encouragement and that the Lord Jesus may be a wonderful inspiration. Please work within us today by your spirit, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.